Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Hayward. FuturePod gathers voices from the international field of futures and foresight. Through a series of interviews, the founders of the field and the emerging leaders share their stories, tools and experiences. Please visit futurepod.org for further information about this podcast series. One of our aims at FuturePod is to honour and learn from the wisdom of those who have established and developed our field. However, there are times where the opportunity to interview a person directly is no longer an option. In November last year, the Futures community unfortunately lost Wendell Bell. He was a giant of our field, and while his writings will continue to make a contribution, there is no longer an opportunity for anyone to meet Wendell or to learn from him through personal experience. So today we have asked a couple of our previous guests back to have a conversation about Wendell. I'll be asking our guests to give us all a bit more information about what Wendell meant to them and what his legacy has given all of us. Joining us today is Richard Slaughter from podcast number 12, Waking Up and My Inquiry into Depth, and Tom Lombardo from podcast 56, Science Fiction and Our Purposeful Evolution. Welcome back to FuturePod, Richard and Tom. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Peter. So my first question, guys, to start this, and I'm happy however you want to address this, who was Wendell Bell and when did you meet him? Uh, I first met Wendell Bell in uh, 1980. I was a graduate student at the University of Lancaster. And there was this uh, conference of, with a very compelling sort of name and feel about it. It's called the First Global Conference on the Future to be held in Toronto. And somehow or other, I scraped up enough uh, money to get over the Atlantic uh, to Toronto and Canada and uh, stayed in a, a student hotel, found my way around Toronto, attended the conference, presented as a, a newbie, very much a newbie, never been to one before, didn't know anybody. And lo and behold, who was um, running the session that I'd been assigned to but Wendell Bell? What stands out for me all these years later is just how genuinely friendly, welcoming, uh, supportive he was. He just made me feel so at home and welcome in utterly different new setting. And we got off just to a really fine start. That's probably all I need to say at this point. He was there. He was profile. He was a at a, at a a, one of the elite universities in the US, and he just treated me like a, a colleague from down the corridor who had just walked in. So that was a, that was a wonderful start to uh, what became a long and very productive uh, relationship. I think Wendell at one point uh, had stated that uh, we were all time travelers, being able to look out ahead into the future and uh, look back into the past. And so I will pay, play uh, the role of time traveler right now and I can see Wendell the first time I met him, tall and lank and enthusiastic, walking down the hallway of a building at Yale University uh, back in uh, around 1995. And he was uh, right off the bat, as Richard has uh, already noted, extremely warm and friendly and exuberant and uh, filled with energy. And... Uh, we met because I had, uh, for reasons I don't even remember now, sent Wendell to read and review the uh, introductory textbook I had written for my course on the future back in uh, Arizona when I first started teaching. And Wendell, lo and behold, read the whole 550-page manuscript <laughs> and sent me uh, about a four or five-page commentary of notes and thoughts on the whole textbook. And uh, having grown up in Connecticut, uh, I would frequently go back to Connecticut to visit my parents and my sister. And the next time I went back to Connecticut, I uh, got in touch with Wendell and said, would you like to get together? And Wendell said, yeah, that would be great. Let's get together. And so we met in, I think it was 1995. And uh, right off the bat, I had a very positive impression of him. He, as I said, he radiated uh, both energy and uh, clarity of uh, thinking and a great friendliness. 
And, you know, we became friends and kept in touch with each other for the next uh, 23, 24 years. So very positive feeling right off the bat with him. So next question was, what do you believe is Wendell's enduring contribution to our field? And perhaps you can explain or demonstrate some application or example of, of his contribution to the listeners. Okay, well, I'll kick off on that one. I'm, I'm sure Tom has a great deal to add as well, so we could go back and forth for some time on this topic. Um, I'd also like to add, if, Peter, you think it's worth leaving in, that uh, there is an article in the Journal of Future Studies from August 2007 with an extended conversation that I held with, uh, with Wendell where he talks a lot about the very issues we're discussing today. So if anyone wants any backup on that or wants to check into it in more detail, that's a great resource. I've just been in looking at it myself. Thanks, Richard. The first answer to the question, I would say, and this is really the first time it occurred to me this way, it seemed to me that what Wendell still provides and will do for a very long time is a full-spectrum example of how to live as a futurist. This wasn't just a job or even merely a vocation. This was how to live as a futurist, meaning that you try to embrace uh, wholeheartedly and genuinely uh, the range of talent in the field, the range of paradigms, thinking, methodologies, people, and uh, give respect really across the board to anyone who was serious about uh, working in this domain. So I think that's the first thing. And I might toss it to Tom because there's a lot more detailed things that we could add to that. Yeah, what I would add into what Richard has already said is after I met Wendell, we uh, routinely exchanged various uh, essays and books that each of us had written, uh, conversed on them. So Wendell was very engaging in uh, future studies. He uh, both wrote and he talked about it with you, and he read the stuff that you sent to him. And we had uh, a conversation, literally, about future studies off and on for 20 years. To expand on it, though, a bit is that, yes, Wendell was a great exemplar of how to live as the futurist. But I would even add how to live as the wise futurist, because when I was once asked who in the field I would identify as being, you know, wise people within future studies, I immediately thought of Wendell. And so Wendell's interest in future studies was coupled together with a uh, humanity, a extremely uh, ethical character an understanding of uh, philosophy and the issues in philosophy. So he was a holistic thinker, uh, and he brought all of his education into his personality, into his conversations with people, and his interactions with them. So uh, I would say on top of how to live as a futurist, as, as being an example of that, is how to live as a wise educator, whatever the domain you happen to be in. Yes, I'd certainly agree with that. It's uh, definitely one of the attributes that I would associate with Wendell. Another one uh, that he emphasised very much, I think, throughout is uh, is the role of hope. And that comes out very clearly in some of the conversations that I had with him when we were looking at some of the things that were happening in the US. And I asked him, well, what did, what did he think of this? And, and he, he didn't resolve or walk away from the seriousness, the... The, the dysfunctions that he saw. But at the very same time, he would say, but however, I place my hope in things like conservation, the development of renewable, non-polluting energy sources, the right kind of human developments uh, for living, uh, public transportation, peaceful international negotiations, and so forth. So his mind was full of um, not just an awareness of the problems, but of the the kind of informed hope that really uh, explores huge range of solutions as well. And I think that was part of his applied wisdom. Yes. In fact, uh, let me add on to that one too, Richard. Wendell was an elevating spirit in the sense that when we would talk or when I would read things that he had written, I got this perpetual sense of realistic optimism 
Wendell would understand a domain, understand the problem, understand the challenge, but he thought that through the development of knowledge and understanding of the challenges and problems, one could cultivate and develop a realistic and practical optimism in dealing with it. So I never really saw Wendell emotionally depressed. Uh, at times he would express his dissatisfaction with things, but he had this uh, spirit of positivism, this uh, spirit of let's look at the problem, let's look at the issue, and what possibilities can we see to move forward from this point. And in fact, we had uh, quite a few conversations on hope and optimism, and we agreed that uh, generally speaking, people who get depressed and people who feel that the world is going to hell often don't understand the, the, the richness of the issues in the domain. And he always felt like the more you understand about something, the more you can see ways to move forward from the position that you're in. So yes, Wendell was definitely a realistic and hopeful optimist with respect to the future. Absolutely. And uh, I think it shows up very plainly in, uh, in his uh, autobiography, Memories of the Future, which I know, uh, Tom, you've reviewed. In that book, he walks, walks us through a lot of the shaping experiences that he had as a kid and, 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 and later, which um, presented pretty much nearly everything life can, can throw at you. And so you get a sense of the, uh, the way he lived through that uh, those experiences, the way he uh, he grew from them, and the way he used them in such a way as that it made him uh, stronger, more capable, more open, more tolerant, more wise, as you said, uh, in the process. So we've really got a, a, a full spectrum a picture of the man that 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 begins uh, during his earliest life and then runs through to this uh, wonderful guy that we got to know. I was going to butt in because his biography struck me was remarkable. His, his honesty with how he described himself and his life and his learning. He didn't try to gild the lily. He didn't try to, to sugarcoat it. He told it honestly, as honestly as he could. I was quite struck by that. Yes. In, in, in fact, Peter, I was um, surprised to some degree uh, when I read uh, Memories of the Future, because I had known Wendell for almost 20 years at that point in time. Uh, Wendell always struck me as a, um, a great rationalist and someone who attempted to look at reality as objectively as possible. And yet when I read that autobiography, I uh, was all of these tumultuous and challenging and upsetting experiences that he lived through from when he, at the beginning of his life, his mother and his grandmother took him on a train and they ran away from uh, where they were, they were living with their father and grandfather and they traveled all the way out to Fresno, California. So Wendell had a very exciting and uh, unsettling existence uh, in many ways throughout his life. And in fact, wisdom research demonstrates that people who do become wise, at least as a uh, necessary condition, have endured uh, significant trauma and challenges in their life and have learned from it and come through and transformed as a consequence of it. So Wendell, even though he sounded like a rationalist, he definitely had a very colorful existence that supported that. Absolutely. When I asked him uh, what he'd learned, hope was one of the things he mentioned, but he also mentioned three other things. He also mentioned skepticism, yeah. which, of course, is one of the norms of, of science, organized skepticism. Another very, very um, significantly, I think, is moral courage. Mm. And that's not something that necessarily fits with um, other paradigms, but it's uh, it certainly helps to define him. And and the way that uh, he could marshal the resources that come from a deep inner sense of, of grounded identity and openness, as I said earlier. Uh, and then finally, and almost in great contrast to those things, he also, as a sociologist, had a very strong eye for, uh, for the structure of 
societies and civilizations. So he, the, third, the, the third or the fourth thing that he emphasized when I asked him about this was the, the importance of social order. And that's not something that I've actually heard any other futurist say, I don't think, anyone in the futurist environment. But as a sociologist, he knew that the achievement of uh, functioning uh, civilized life depended on some sorts of shared agreements about what matters about values and so forth, which we can come back to, um, and about this prime importance of social order. So coming up to today, I imagine he would have had a great deal to say about the the dissolution of social order through the confusing influences of of some of the modern electronic media we're dealing with. Perhaps that's getting ahead a bit, but it it just uh, once again characterizes this, this combination of, um, of hope, skepticism, moral courage, social order. The, these are fairly unusual. It's a fairly unusual combination. Of the ones that you just brought up, one that I might highlight, add a little bit more to right now, is uh, the uh, third one, moral courage. Uh, Wendell was a moralist in the sense that he believed that there were uh, identifiable human values that one could describe and that people in general agreed on that would contribute and support a positive uh, future. He was not a relativist at all. Uh, He was not an ethical relativist. And uh, so he stood, clearly stood, for things like the value of honesty and the value of human life and uh, several other key central human values. He didn't have too much patience with the whole idea that one value was as good as the next or one civilization was morally as good as the next one. He thought one can make ethical judgments about how individuals live their lives, ethical judgments about possible futures, make judgments about preferable futures, and make judgments about uh, informed and rational judgments about the more quality of things today. And yes, indeed, um, I would think that uh, Wendell uh, would definitely uh, take a stand on the uh, ongoing issue today regarding whether or not our values are relative and everybody uh, has a right to their own opinion, no matter how ridiculous it sounds. Wendell was a believer in objectivity, a believer in the good, and that there really was a good. And he was very definite and uh, convinced of that. And we discussed ethics a lot, for sure. That was a topic that we went back and forth on quite a bit. Yeah, I might tell my one Wendell story there, because I did reach out to Wendell from time to time. He was, again, for me, just, you know, I never got the chance to meet the man. But I was teaching, I was actually teaching morals uh, and moral development in one of the subjects at the master's course that Richard established at Swinburne University. And I had an email exchange with Wendell, and he talked a lot in that exchange with me about one of his most popular lectures at Yale, which was The Nature of Evil. And it absolutely goes with what you're saying, Tom, that understanding the notion of what humans have constructed as evil acts is, again, for him, was, was actually worthy of exploration if in fact we are to judge and try to move organisations and societies in yeah, in particular directions rather than just allow them to kind of uh, meander along and emerge as they, as they see fit. And it was always interesting and quite controversial to, to give a lecture on the nature of evil. And Wendell did introduce me to, you know, the research around the nature of evil and how there's kind of a Hollywood idea of evil but, of course, for the people who've actually done the research into evil acts is that most evil acts are actually uh, committed by people in their everyday life. And Wendell finished up with a code of ethics for futurists about how futurists should be actively trying to prevent the escalation of evil. Uh, yes, indeed. In fact, uh, interestingly, Peter, I did a series of a video interviews uh, a couple of years ago on um, future consciousness, science fiction, philosophy, 
But one of the interviews I did in that series was on the question of evil. And fascinatingly, over the last two years, I've got more hits on that one than anything else I did, including, you know, wisdom. People have a definite interest in what is evil. I think it might be good to underscore here again the uh, moral or ethical dimension of Wendell's uh, futurist thinking in that he saw ethics, morality, fundamental human values as integral and central to future studies and to the creation of the future. So when we think about where we're going, where we're possibly going, or how do we want to move forward, at the center of that should be questions of ethics and value. So when we make decisions about preferable futures, it's not enough simply to say, well, let's have bigger, smarter machines or be more energy efficient, whatever it happens to be. Rather, we have to think in terms of the ethics of and the morality of the kind of preferable future we envision. That's critical. Yeah, I'd certainly like to support what um, Tom was saying there. As he was speaking, it just occurred to me again how what Wendell was insisting on drawing attention to valuing became incredibly useful in my own practice and my own understanding because, for me, perhaps the, the biggest challenge I faced becoming learning how to become a futurist was that the, the field had developed elsewhere. There wasn't a great deal in the UK at that time. And I was confronted with a predominance of work from Herman Kahn onwards of people who seemed to focus almost exclusively on external empirical dimensions or, or realities or phenomena. And I couldn't understand for a very long time why that bothered me. But partly through Wendell's influence and the emphasis that, I, that Tom just mentioned of his uh, focus on, on values and so forth. It really prepared the ground, I think, for the later opening to understanding that the interiors of human life, cultural life, were at least as important as the exteriors that so many folks seem to be preoccupied with. So there, there he is again at the very beginning for me of, of a completely paradigmatic shift in my own knowledge and understanding where I came to believe and to begin to promote the idea that uh, for future studies to have any credibility, it had to take those interiors, the individual and the cultural interiors, every bit as seriously as the, uh, as the external ones. Now, as, as part of that and part of uh, Wendell's strong, you know, this, this, was, this comes out of a strong uh, sense of, uh, of understanding what, what he was about. But one of the standout uh, occasions for me was uh, back in 1996 when I went to Washington and for the launch of the, not the first hard copy edition of the Knowledge Base of Future Studies. And I had Ed Wendell Bell on one side and Hazel Hen Henderson on the other just supporting me in this, um, this new, new enterprise. But when Wendell got up to speak, he didn't just say nice words about the project. What he actually spent most of his time doing, and I think this is significant, is that he critiqued futurists for being in denial about prediction. Because Wendell Howard had a view that about predictions, and he distinguished between different kinds of predictions, that they were more uh, central to what the futurists were, were about than futurists were willing to really contemplate. Because they, they tended to I'd say we tended to shrink away from notions that we were there to predict anything. So it, it was wonderful to have this muscular, strong, assertive side of Wendell on that occasion. And I must say, as a, as a final comment on that, that although we, we disagreed fundamentally at that time on, on that very issue, it never became a bone of contention. It was just simply part of the texture of um, the medium, the shared understandings, etc. It's as if the, the whole purpose of future studies was so much bigger than whether or not we agreed on one of those elements. Yeah, um, uh, Richard's comments, a uh, couple things to add in here. 
In uh, volume two of Foundation of Future Studies, Wendell uh, spent a lot of time uh, describing the history of utopian thought, which he believed was very important in understanding the future's field. And utopian visions, of course, go all the way back to Plato's Republic at least. Uh, and utopian visions uh, provide us with different preferable or ideal visions of human society that uh, will invariably contain in them a set of core values or ethical principles. And so Wendell thought it was very important for us to study and understand the history of utopias and for utopian thought, at least as preferable or ideal ethical futures, to inform us in terms of uh, how we think about the future. Richard also mentioned that he found a lot of futurists uh, focusing on uh, externalities, such as technology, for example, as opposed to the interior. And I would include in there the uh, psychological and conscious uh, dimensions of human reality. And one thing that I actually found that I had a bit of a dissonance with Wendell on is that Wendell was a sociologist, that he thought in a lot of ways as a sociologist. I was a psychologist and thought in terms of, you know, uh, human emotion and human thinking and human consciousness. And so underscore what Richard was saying there about futurists need to put a little more energy, not a little more, quite a bit more energy and focus in to understanding how we are to imagine the human mind, the human conscious mind, human psychology in the future, and not just simply our gadgetry and our contraption. Wendell focused on human society, and that was good in a lot of ways. But as I said, uh, more, in the, more along the lines of the uh, psychological dimensions of the future are in order for sure. And, you know, finally, one last thing is that I tended to agree with Wendell through the years that futurists indeed do make predictions, in spite of the fact that most futurists will say they don't make predictions. I would just simply say they make a, a, a variety of probable or possible predictions. And that all through our history, uh, going back to H.G. Um, Wells, if not earlier, uh, writers about the future have made various kinds of predictions. And they still make predictions, even today. Uh, we're making predictions right now about different possibilities regarding what's going to happen with the COVID pandemic. And it's a range, but it's it's not one particular one, but it's a range of, of uh, very plausible possibilities. And Wendell thought that it was very important to do that. Think about what are the most highly probable outcomes of where we are today to lay them out in front of you based on our understanding of what is going on. So Wendell integrated together our knowledge and factual gathering of phenomena and trends with values and with making predictions and then with evaluating those predictions in terms of are these desirable or preferable or not. Uh, so he is a very systematic thinker, bringing together uh, ethics and science and uh, data collecting and making predictions and pulling it in, in, and weaving it together so one could come up with informed decisions about how to move forward into the future. Yeah, just as a footnote to that, my view on predictions changed over time as well, uh, particularly when I was really focused on how foresight worked and how foresight works in everyday life. And of course, it's just a whole host of predictions a tacit, unthought, maybe informal, barely even conscious, but it's just part of the foresight cycle. So th the idea that it, it wasn't of any interest or value just kind of disappeared quite quickly. At the time, it was it was interesting that we were there for a particular purpose, and he used that purpose very, very well. He, he was wonderfully supportive all the way through, but at the same time, he took the opportunity to, to put out there something that he thought we were getting wrong, and he wasn't afraid to say so. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, on that one, Richard, uh, one of uh, Peter's other questions was, 
Can you explain some of the user app, uh, applications of this contribution to listeners? I want to make a connection right there. While Wendell was developing and writing his ideas on uh, future studies and futurist work, I was developing as a psychologist philosopher ideas are revolving around the concept of future consciousness, which I believe everybody possessed. And if we didn't possess it to some degree, we wouldn't be able to do much of anything at all. That's right. Yeah. Wendell, and that involves anticipation and formal and more rigorous predictions, but we're always anticipating. We're always thinking out ahead. We got to do that. That's why futures thinking is so central to the human species. But what Wendell provided, and in fact, I discussed it in uh, my book, Contemporary Futurist Thought, he provided a very well articulated, rational, empirical model of how we should engage in futurist thinking. And I would frequently compare the points that he would bring up with points that I would bring up in the context of future consciousness. That is, at times I thought that he was a bit too overly rationalistic in how he saw uh, futurist thinking. And there was a bit of a dissonance there. What's the role of emotion in our future consciousness and our futurist thinking? Mm -hmm. uh, but he did provide a very clear and articulated model of how we should go about imagining and thinking about the future and integrating human values into it and then acting on it. So it, because Wendell thought, and I would agree with him, is that we are creating the future right now, in fact. And so we might as well get clear as to how to do this in the best possible way. And let, Wendell laid out a model for that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I would just add in one other thing about Wendell Bell here is that although Wendell was educated as a sociologist and he evolved into a, a futurist, still with a social bent to him, Wendell was also very informed. I, it struck me right off the bat, very informed regarding philosophy and in particular philosophy of science. We have lots of really great conversations on epistemology and on Kant and Karl Popper and falsification and other uh, issues that revolved around philosophy or philosophy of science. And I think that's a very significant piece to his contribution and his way of thinking about future studies is that he definitely had a good grounding in philosophy and a good grounding in what we have thought through the ages regarding what is science and the scientific method and bringing that to bear upon future studies. If Wendell was around today, how would you think he would approach making sense of the emerging futures around us? Do you think he'd have any words of wisdom or guidance for us? Well, I'll kick off on this one. Uh, obviously, yes, he, he would. One of the themes of the discussion that I had with him that was uh, published in Journal of Future Studies was I'd been immersed in quite a few areas of writing which had looked with some concern at the way that America seemed to be sliding into an extremely difficult uh, situation and I, I really tried to to uh, to question him on this uh, fairly closely as Tom did uh, in those areas he was just talking about and um, you can see how that that went in this conversation if, if you can get hold of it because he was keenly aware of dysfunctions things that weren't working um, and he really he really took a very active response to that. For example, he and Laura Lee would be prepared to walk in the streets and protest with other citizens about something that they disagreed their government was doing. Wendell even um, gave a lecture 
at the Smithsonian Institute uh, just days before uh, the Iraq war and expressed his opposition to it. So he was cognizant of what was going on. He, he felt passionately that it was his responsibility to speak up, and he did. And at the same time, beneath all that was this sort of sense of, of poise and of, in a sense, acceptance that as people, yes, we shape the future, but we can only do so collectively. And, and there was his particular faith in, uh, in people. He said, okay, so um, we, we, feel the, we feel the pain of the world. We see what's going wrong. But he said to me, we take a deep breath, open our eyes to the wider world, renew our faith in people, and try to do what little we can to be worthy of these heroic legions of ordinary people. That's his words. Mm-hmm. Live responsible and caring lives in the human community. So you can see the source of his insight and strength there. And this is not a naive belief in people, but it's a grounded belief in people as agents, as makers of, of their history, even if it's on a small scale. But um, he did agree with me when I put it to him that we were living through a, a many faceted transition from one form of culture to another or society or civilization. And he agreed with that. And for him, he, um, he saw that as a, uh, what, what he, he, did, he typified that transition in his words, it was broadly an increase in scale. And then I'm not going to go through the examples, but he gave a whole series of examples of the change of scale that he could see uh, happening in the, in the world around him. So he acknowledged the problem. He acknowledged uh, the, the human responses. He brought that into his future's work. But at the same time, uh, underlying that, there was also a sense of reality. And he, uh, he acknowledged that it could be 100 years, he said, before people will become a functioning human community, living in peace under legitimate systems of formal and informal social controls, a hundred years or more of periodic conflict, death and destruction, bombing and malfeasance. So I think you know one can get from that a sense that he was he was deeply connected both to the the, the hopeful and the positive and to the challenging and and the evil as as you said earlier, Peter. And I think that that also kind of factors into why being around Wendell, reading him, conversing with him, being influenced by him was been such a such an experience uh, for for many many people. His is a an understanding of 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 the world tempered by reality, and one that that sort of primes us quite well, I think, to uh, to face what we're facing now. So maybe I'll leave Tom to comment on that before coming back to how I think he might respond now. Uh, actually, I was going to get into the now too, but I will make some comments on what Richard just said. I think I uh, have uh, highlighted, just bring it back into the uh, uh, discussion again, uh, that uh, Wendell thought that ethics was a, uh, a key uh, dimension in thinking about the future. And in particular, Wendell uh, believed that we could look at what our values are today, the values we are practicing, and then consider where these values are going to lead us, what are the consequences of them for the future? And if we look out ahead and we say, well, you know, if we believe in X, Y, and Z as important values, this is what's going to come of it 25 or 50 or 75 years from now. And we may decide that uh, based on those uh, uh, probabilities that these particular values that we're embracing right now in the long run are going to be very counterproductive, if not destructive. And hence, we can decide that we shouldn't perhaps embrace those values the way we have. We should change our ways of thinking ethically because the long-term consequences of those ethical values are not going to be very good. 
And so when we look at the we look at the United States, and we'll pick, because I'm here and I'll pick on the United States. So we look at the United States today and our present uh, reality. It does seem to me that large percentages of the population of the United States embrace certain values that the long-term consequences of them are going to be disastrous, even the relatively short-term consequences are, and that based upon good, sound, ethical thinking, we should decide that this is not the kind of way that we should think about the values and ethics of life, and that we need to make some significant changes now, because the long-term consequences are not going to be very good. And uh, Wendell was indeed an activist, for sure. That was part of his philosophy. Gather knowledge, identify one's values, and then act on it. Yes, indeed. And in this case here, we have a reality around this in, in the United States where you could see the things that are being valued, are being supported, that in the long run are not going to be very good. And we need to voice and we need to act on doing something to change the direction of our ethical thinking at this point in time. So that's one, you know, that's one comment. Uh, a, a second one here is, yes, the future is uncertain, even if we do make, you know, probabilistic predictions about it. And I do get concerned that because the future is uncertain, that we could be going down pathways that, are, are destructive or dangerous that may take us a long time to move in a different direction. A hundred years might be optimistic when you get yourself into a pickle. It may take centuries to get out of it collectively. And there's various things going on right now that, uh, to me, are um, the, the possibilities, at least, that the direction we're taking, the values that we're holding to, uh, are going to lead in ways to things that uh, are in the long run are not going to be very good for humanity as a whole or, or for the people in the United States. And the future is to some degree, of course, up for grabs. The future is something we're creating and something that has an uncertainty to it. And there's different views of it uh, as to what's important, what we should value. And we should think out ahead. We should think out ahead what our values are and their consequences. Yeah, Wendell did actually explicitly um, say, express what he thought futurists actually contributed to the society. And, and this is pretty much a summary of what you've uh, just said, Tom. He said uh, they've provided important insights both about the future dangers and opportunities for the, com the human community. And in doing that, perform an important role in bearing witness, exposing some of the follies of public discourse and decision-making. So there you have it. It's in a nutshell. The, there's no doubt he would have been highly vocal about uh, many things, our uses of the environment, the um, growth of uh, surveillance capitalism, the shredding of, uh, of truth and meaning uh, as a result of um, algorithms being linked to, uh, to, to a really unmodified capitalist motives and on and on it goes. There's no doubt he would have been in there politically active, writing restrained but incisive uh, comments about these things. I think um, it's probably true to say that the the environment wasn't one of his major uh, concerns. I, I mean, they were obviously concerned, but I don't think, it, I can't find anything in what I know of Wendell's work that talks a great deal about the, the way that uh, the global system is is shifting under the weight of uh, humanity's collective impacts over time and how that is becoming a major determinant of anything that happens, one of the great uncertainties of our time. Uh, but there's no doubt he wouldn't have been silent about that either. So overall, a kind of sensitizing, a calling it out kind of function. What we couldn't resolve and what probably is still unresolved now is that we we called this um, looking towards the future studies renaissance. Well, that's a projection uh, <laughs> and it's a hope and we can see the point of it all around us. But one thing I think we all have to accept is that humanity learns slowly, if at all, 
And uh, it's back to that, what I call the dialectic of foresight and experience. Um, how much experience do you need before the uh, absolute centrality of informed and ethical foresight comes into play? We're still grappling with that today, aren't we? Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, it is very dialectical, also in the sense that there are uh, multiple competing points of view or stances that one can take on how to uh, look at the future. And so, first of all, we have a, a strong and powerful and a very human resistance to change. Even if the change is needed, is, is necessary, is positive, part of the dialectic throughout history has been those who want to improve society versus those who want to keep it the same or go back to the good old days as if there were good old days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that, that's part of the struggle. That's part of the dialectic. But I do think that even if Wendell did not focus that much upon uh, ecology and the environment and climate uh, and humanity's relationship with the earth, Wendell was adamantly pro-science. He would have adamantly supported what scientific findings and ideas were regarding the environment and our interaction with it. Yes. That's part of, that's part of Wendell's empiricism and rationalism. And part of the problem today in the United States is that we have an anti-rational, anti-empirical, anti-scientific mindset in a lot of people with respect to the environment. And Wendell would, Wendell would have been definitely opposed and, and objected to that, you know, that if this is what science is telling us as best as we understand it right now, you're being a fool to go ahead and try to do something different or something in contradiction to what science is telling you, whether it has to do with the pandemic or it has to do with climate change or global warming. Uh, all of those factors, Wendell would have definitely supported the scientific view of understanding the reality we're in as opposed to just ignoring, rejecting it. And in fact, Wendell also, I should got to mention this because I had this little note down before, one of Wendell's core ethical values was truth. And Wendell, as I mentioned earlier, was always uh, very adamantly opposed to people who want to eliminate the whole idea of truth as being a fundamental value or a fundamental reality, that there is indeed truth and we should value it as opposed to some kind of relativism or anything goes. So you're saying he wouldn't have liked alternative facts? No, he would have hated alternative facts. And I would just, yes, I would discuss with him uh, Thomas Kuhn and uh, Paul Feyerabend and subjectivism and the uh, the fact that there is there a a, a a a reality out there, or is reality entirely an interpretation? We went we went around and around with that a lot. Yes, uh, but definitely didn't he definitely didn't like the idea of alternative facts. Yeah, right. I agree. In a field such as ours, which is still looking for acceptance, still trying to win that legitimation battle, still trying to be accepted, still trying to get enough courses going in unis and all that sort of thing. What Wendell demonstrated to me and what I think the, the core of his uh, huge contribution is that he just cared about other people. He put himself at their service at every opportunity and it didn't really matter to him whether or not you disagreed or agreed on a particular point what he went to every time was your shared humanity, which he respected, and therefore he supported, encouraged. And, um, and, and as Tom said somewhere, he also brought out the best in other people. So to me, that's, uh, that really speaks for itself. It says that um, what we need is perhaps a bit less intellectualism, a bit less fighting and defensiveness around methods, an awful lot more reality about the self, how it works, how it works in relation to others, and and this this amazing quality of care and openness and 
and support for other people, whoever they are. To me, that that is the core of Wendell Bell, and I I I thank him uh, enormously for the this the support and the help he gave me right the way through, right up to the year before he passed away. We were I was getting emails from him about things I'd done, and and everything he said was uh, just over that whole period, just so helpful, so encouraging. I wish there were so many more like him. Yes, indeed, Richard. And uh, although uh, Wendell often wrote like a rationalist, he definitely had a, a, an extremely good heart and a generous spirit. And it was always a pleasure to get together with him and get together with him and Laura Lee, too. Absolutely. As my wife Jean said, you know, Wendell was a gentleman and a scholar at the same time. <laughs> so, on behalf of FuturePod community, I want to thank you guys for, I think you did your memory of your friend Ann Otter. And for all of us, it gives us a chance to have more than just the words you wrote, but uh, an inspirational model of what we could be. So, thanks very much for participating. You're very welcome, Peter. Thanks for the opportunity, as they say in the U.S. Yeah, and um, it was enjoyable talking to you, Richard, uh, and enjoyable talking to you too, Peter. This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now. <laughs>